You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone the title of the sermon this morning, The Truth That Sets Us Free. Exactly, you got to say it exactly like that. Thank you. The truth that sets us free. Amen. Well, we are back in our Gospel of John series. We just picked up again from last week. And if you remember where we left off, we are in the middle of the Feast of Booths. And Jesus just gave his second great I am statement. I am the light of the world. He also talked about giving living waters, all, both of which fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And of course, as we looked at last week, the Pharisees, the religious elites of Jesus' day, of the temple, rejects Jesus' claims as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And even after Jesus' explicit claims of being the Son of God and his divinity, we still see the Jews rejecting him. Of course, Jesus gives his judgment on, these, on his people in verse 21 of what we looked at last week. He said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. In the midst of this exchange with the Pharisees, it says in verse 30, right before our passage this morning, he was saying these things and many believed him. And so in the following weeks, we'll be looking at the extent of this belief that the people had in Jesus. Was this real faith? Was this really a belief that lasted in these people? This week, we're looking at Christ's response to those who believed in him. And as we'll see, Christ really gets to the heart of the gospel in our text. And he makes more truth claims that are very crucial and important for us in our day and age. Let's look at that for a moment. Look at, it, at verse 31 to 32 with me again. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard this statement a couple of times before, not just in church, but in, in pop culture, in media, somewhere, maybe movies or TVs and songs. The truth will set you free. Or if you like the King James Version, the truth shall set you free, right? And not just among, again, again, it's not just in, in, in Christian circles, but also in pop culture and even non-Christian ideologies, even if you've ever heard some woke ideologies out there, some woke, uh, woke philosophies, it's always share your truth. Be your true self. Only then will you truly be free. Or even maybe some anti-woke rhetoric, right? Being red-pilled, being based for standing up for what is truth. Whichever sphere... Uh, you've heard this from, it all takes this, this principle that Christ presents in our passage and, and uses it to say that only when the truth is brought to light, then can you be free. Then freedom starts. Yet the problem that we've seen and have, I'm sure we've experienced these past few decades is that truth has become relative. It's making it, uh, the world that we live in is making it more and more difficult to determine what is truth and what, 
actually sets us free. Even from the examples that we have given, that's her truth. That's their truth. That's the conservative truth. In the last decade or so, and, and probably even trace back further in the last 10 years, we've seen a war for truth. Things that was once or were once absolute, like gender, morality, the value of human life, history, even math, have all come under attack. Even simple words as, uh, as hate and love and good and bad, male and female, all of it has come under scrutiny and all of it has, uh, all these words that we once knew the definition of have become relative and defined by whoever wishes to define it. There's this great documentary, and I'm sure some of you have seen this already, called What is a Woman? It's a political documentary by a commentator, political commentator, Matt Walsh, and he asks this question, what is a woman? And so he, in this documentary, he goes to uh, this, this, this women's rights rally, right? These bunch of women are rallying for women's rights, and he asks these women who are, who are rallying for these women's rights, what is a woman? And believe it or not, they could not answer him. Women rallying for women's rights could not answer what is a woman. That's the world that we live in. Truth has become relative. And more often than not, this principle of the truth shall set you free has been turned on its head to mean you are free to set your truth. Relativism is not even, it's not just in the world, but we even see it in the church, right? The whole idea of the deconstructionist movement within the church. Scripture no longer being the highest authority in the church. It's man's opinions, it's man's feelings, it's, it's culture interpreting Scripture, culture interpreting the Bible. And oftentimes the response for Christians is, or those who are faithful is to go the opposite direction, go to the anti-woke rhetoric or, or go to the conservative commentators, those who, who, who have conservative ideologies or values similar to us, and those are the real truths, right? But understand, although we as Christians may have similar values as, say, a Ben Shapiro or a Jordan Peterson, and, and they are insightful to navigate our culture and society today. They really are. But they are not the answer. The conservative traditional values and truths are not what we're called to uphold as the church, as the church of the living God. See, to the ancients, truth, the word for truth, aletheia, wasn't just about what was factual, it was actually synonymous for what is reality, what consists and what comprises of reality. And the only way for, what you, for, the only way for you to understand or, or to, to receive what is true is by divine revelation, according to the ancients. And what I mean by this is that, you know, these, these conservative pundits, they, they, they are great. Again, they, they, they touch on facts, which is good and necessary and helpful, but they are only coming from the spectrum of what, are, what, what are facts, right? When Ben Shapiro would agree, Ben Shapiro would agree that, hey, you know, abortion is evil, it is the church's job to say yes because it is the destruction of an image bearer of God. 
When Jordan Peterson says, yes, there are, are, are two genders, two biological genders, differences between men and women, it is the church's job, the Christian's prerogative to say yes, because God in his sovereignty and genius designed men and women with complementary qualities. That's what Paul means in 1 Timothy when he calls the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is meant to uphold the truth as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the inspired word of God to be the conscience of this world, pointing the world to the truth, not simply agreeing with conservatives. And, and, and remember, catch that, to the truth, not a truth, not my truth, not a collective truth, not the conservative truth. We are called to point the world to the truth. And it is this truth, the truth, that Jesus talks about in our passage that can truly set humanity free. It is this truth that Jesus talks about that, that, that sets us free despite our, our circumstances, despite our financial status, despite our social status, despite the country we live in, the policies we live under, the governments over us. This truth that Jesus speaks about in our passage is what truly sets people free. The truth that Jesus declares is the only thing that has the power to actually set people free. The truth that this truth is at the foundation of every other value, every other truth that we believe in and what the world is founded on. And really, this truth that Jesus speaks about in our passage is the only truth that matters at the end of the day. It matters in this life. So my hope for us this morning, church, is to discuss what this truth is that sets us free and also hope that, uh, that we would be able to reshape how we think and view the world as a, as a result of this truth, as a result of having this truth as our foundation, and that we would also reconsider maybe the things that we've just accepted from the world. Maybe consider the, the so-called truths that we've just sort of Take, took in into our, our hearts and our minds that aren't really founded in, in any truth of the Lord, in truth of the Word of God. Ultimately, our hope this morning is to point ourselves back to this great hope that we have in Christ and this great truth that we have in Christ. So, first of all, before, as we get into it, what is, what is this truth that Jesus is talking about in our passage? This truth that sets people free. I want that truth, right? I'm sure everyone else here wants this truth. Who wants this truth? Yes, nobody. I'll just pack up my stuff, all right? Let's go. What is this truth that Jesus is talking about? Well, we, what we discussed last week, the divinity of Christ. This is the truth that sets people free. Remember what we talked about last week in the passage right before this one? Jesus is directly and explicitly identifying himself as, as the God of the Old Testament, equal to God in, in power, in nature, and in authority. And I'll show you this in our passage just as a reminder. Look at John chapter 8 verse 24. It says, this is Jesus speaking, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, remember what we said last week in the original Greek, that word he is not in the original text. The word he there is put there by translators so that the sentence would flow better, but 
as we see in the context of, of John chapter 8, Jesus is really getting to, uh, to, Jesus is really trying to explicitly declare himself as the God of the Old Testament. Because he does this three times in this passage, right? It's verse in verse 24. Unless you believe that I am, that is the name of Yahweh, God in the Old Testament, the great I am, then in verse 28, he, he says it again. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority. And finally, at verse 58, of a passage we'll see later on uh, in a couple of weeks, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Christ was identifying himself as the God of the Old Testament, claiming for himself that great name, the great I am, the unspeakable name, the tetragrammaton of the Old Testament. And he's explicitly declaring it to these people, to the Pharisees and the Jews who are present at the temple. That is a great truth. This is the great truth that, that Jesus is affirming. Now, again, despite the Pharisees not believing, it says that some people did. And that's why in, in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews, back at verse 31, who had believed, who had believed what? Believe his claims as the son of man, as a son of God, as a great I am, his divinity. He's addressing those people. This is the truth that Jesus is referring to when he says the truth that will set you free, the truth of his divinity. Now, a good question to ask at this point, how does this, this truth of Christ's divinity set people free? And that's essentially what the Jews are asking him in verse 33 of our passage. Look at that with me. Verse 33, the Jews ask, what is, this, what is it that you say you will become free? Historically speaking, the Jews were slaves at one point, right? Whether it was in Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, the Romans, they were slaves under many nations, historically speaking. So either the Jews questioned to Christ, how is it that you say that we are free? Or, or, or even before that, when they say, we've never been a slave to anyone. Either, it was, either they were in denial, or they were speaking more internally, from a place of pride, right? Just how our father Abraham was free and wasn't under any foreign nation's rule, we're a free people too. Israel, right? Or America. Regardless of the sentiment, the question is the same. How does this truth of Christ's divinity set people free? Well, there's three components to this truth that we're going to look at this morning. Let me give you them from the start. The presupposition, the presupposition the progression and the promise of this truth. Right? Let's look at the first point here, the, the presupposition of this truth. Uh, if you don't know what a presupposition is, it's a presupposed truth that acts as a foundation for other truths and other things, other decisions that you make in this life. For example, if you think, if you're, if you're going to buy a vehicle, for example, and you went to a car lot, and in your mind, in your, mind, in your heart, you believe that, uh, say, a Mazda, is, is the best vehicle out there in terms of, uh, uh, of engine, in terms of quality, all of, this, all of that stuff. If you believe that Mazda is the best car, that is a presupposed truth that you have. And as you go into a car lot, you're going to think, or you're going to compare every car on that lot to a Mazda. You're going you're gonna to go to that car or that car lot thinking, well, I want to buy something like a Mazda because you believe that that's, your, that's the peak uh, quality of a car, peak standard of a car. 
All of us have presuppositions that govern our lives, and depending on what they are, what they are determines how we conduct ourselves, the decisions that we make, even the preferences and the goals that we have in this life. Jesus gives very, a very clear presupposition in our passage, right, to answer this question that, Jew, that the Jews had. The Jews asked, how, how is it that you say that we'll be free? Jesus says in verse 34, and just to summarize it, here's the presupposition, those who practice sin are slaves to sin. That's the foundational truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Practice in the original Greek, the word is poieo, it means to make or to manufacture after a pattern. So I, the idea that Jesus get, uh, is getting at here is humanity does not create sin. Humanity simply practices the pattern of sin. Hence why the word there is practice in the translation. Our practice of sin stems from our nature of sin. That's what Jesus is getting at. We are a slave to sin because of our sin nature. Jesus presents these, this fundamental truth, this presupposition as to the reason why the truth of his divinity sets us free. Because inherently, we are slaves to our sin. Our nature, our sin nature leaves us in bondage to sin. That is, of course, the depravity of man. We've talked about this plenty of times before. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Again, we talk a lot about total depravity uh, here at church. It's funny, every time I'm preparing a sermon, right, and the word brings us to the thought or the topic of total depravity, I'm like, Lord, like, what a tenth time, you know what I mean? But this, we talk about it because it's a fundamental doctrine of the faith. It's an important presupposition in which doc, the doctrines of grace are securely built upon. There's no need for the good news unless there is a bad news. There's no need for the cross unless there is sin that necessitates it. But it's also how we ought to view the world. If you've ever questioned why the world is the way it is, it's because of not just people doing bad things, but because inherently people are bad. If you've ever thought, well, you know, how come there's, there's suffering in the world? How come there's, there's starvation in the world? There's, there's devastations in the world? All these things. Really, that question comes from a place that doesn't presuppose we are sinners and only deserve the wrath of God. That mentality, that line of questioning, only comes from a place where it doesn't understand that really all the good that we have in this world is undeserved. Is this from God's grace? This is why this, this, this statement that Jesus is presenting in our passage is a fundamental truth to the faith. That's the starting point that we have to understand, that we are, we are slaves to sin, to our sin nature. We are born slaves to sin. Now, of course, contrast that to the world that we live in who actively try to suppress the truth of God in this matter. The world is so adamant in rewriting human nature, in getting rid of this, any notion of sin just so that they can be God, so that they can decide for themselves their destiny, their future, their identity, all of that. 
See, the world deals with human nature in two ways, but yields the same results. One, human nature is developed via external factors. Over a course of time, over evolutionary process, over external influences. Then, thus, morality and motivations and identity can be decided by others. Or, the world sees human nature as inherently good, right? Follow your heart, Disney says. What you choose is good. You determine what morality is. You determine your motivations, your identity. And it will be good because what you decide is good and because you're inherently good. But the end result is the same. Man kicks God out of the throne room and places himself on to decide what is morality, what is true, what is identity. Man becomes the highest authority. It's why the world has become, uh, or why truth and morality, even gender, has become so relative. It's like the Old Testament, right, in the book of Judges, when there was no king in the land to, to, to distribute the standards and the truths and the law of God. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's easy to mistake bad for good when what is bad determines what is good. And it's, it's really why, again, the world refuses to talk about sin and pushes this, this, this ideology that we are inherently good. Because under that presupposition, who needs a Savior? Who needs a God? If everyone is inherently good and everyone can amount to good themselves, who needs a Savior? Who needs a God? It's the same it's the same when it comes to the gender ideology and, and the notion that, you know, the people in the LGBT plus B equals MC square community, born, the, they, the, the sentiment they have that they were born this way, they were born this way, which contrary to popular belief has no basis in any legitimate science or study, yet is just generally accepted by the world as a fact. They were born this way before, 19, before the 1940s. No one viewed children as having sexual preferences. They weren't, kids are not wired that way. Hormones kick in during puberty, so how can they have natural inclinations to a certain gender, sexual preferences, when they're young? This idea of being born this way, this language and ideology, is actually popularized by a professor named Alfred Kinsey, the founder of this, this, the Institute of Sexual Research in the 1940s where he and his cohorts, his, his, his fellow professors, sexually abused between 350 to 2,000 children, some as young as four months old, all for the sake of their scientific research, just to say, see, children can be sexually aroused, therefore they are sexual beings, therefore they were born this way. That's the presupposition that the world has accepted today. All from a satanic, demonic, scientific research paper done by this guy. And of course, believers have accepted it generally too, right? 
Homosexuality is not a sin. They were born this way, and God doesn't make mistakes. That's not what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 is very clear. In their sin, they were given over to their, their debased mind, their lust of their heart. Let man be a liar and God be true. But all of it to say that it's just another excuse to put man as the highest authority. This is why the doctrine of total depravity, depravity is so important to our faith and our understanding and our worldview. Not simply because it is true, but because without it, Alfred Kinsey and all the generations that follow after his ideology that becomes permissible, becomes the norm. Man becomes a standard of truth and you get a whole generation enslaved to sin. presupposition that man is inherently sinful and is enslaved to sin establishes that there is nothing in our power to save ourselves and we need an external force to save us. We need a savior to set us free. So that's the presupposition. Now how do we arrive to this truth? Well, let's talk about the progression. The progression. It says in verse 31, once again, Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed him. That's where it starts. Belief. Faith. Faith in the claims of Christ as a son of God. Faith in the claims of Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That his sacrifice on the cross will be sufficient. All of those things. He rose from the grave. Faith. Then, as Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me break this, the progression down for you. You believe, and then when you abide, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the progression. Let's break this down further. So we talked about believing. That's faith. It's trusting in Jesus, his claims, what Scripture claims he did for us. Any pursuit for freedom starts with Christ. It's faith in Christ. At the end of, uh, of the Gospel of John, when Jesus appears in the resurrection and he reveals himself to Thomas, it says in John chapter 20, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us here. Our faith journey, our journey to the truth, to freedom, starts with faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Then Jesus says those, if you abide in my word. The word abide in the original Greek means to remain, to maintain an unbroken fellowship, to persevere in something. So in this case, it's if you abide, if you persevere in my word, in my teachings, in following after me, in being a disciple, right? Then you are truly my disciples. As you, and it goes on to say, so as you continue to abide, as you continue to persevere in Christ's words, which we have now in Scripture, in the Bible, meaning you continue to believe and follow His teachings and obey His commands, then you prove to be His disciples, and the Word of God finds root in your life, finds root in your heart. And as, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, you're, you become unlike the seeds that fell among the rocks, who, who, who heard the gospel with joy, received it with joy, but then... 
found that there was no roots in them, and they endured, endured for a little while. When tribulation and persecution came, they fall away. So now as, as faithful followers, as you abide in God's word, as you persevere in God's word, you now grow in the truth. You, become, you, you know the truth as your mind is renewed more and more. And again, it's not just truth in terms of what is factual, but what is reality. God's plans, God's purposes, God's will for us, God's design, all of that comes in the renewal of mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we become more acquainted with the grace of God, empowered to do the will of God, to avoid sin as a result, only then do we experience true freedom in Christ. Freedom to choose the things of God, freedom to... to Freedom from the power of sin and from the, the, the patterns of this world. That's the progression. We believe in Christ. We abide in his word, being disciples. And as we abide, as we continue to persevere in the faith, we come to know the truths of God, his plans and purposes for us, and we are empowered then to live in the freedom of Christ. Believe, abide, know, and free. Freedom. Now, notice as we continue on here, the contrast that is being made in our passage. In verse 34, right, those who practice sin are a slave to sin. Versus in verse 31, those who persevere or those who abide in, in the word are truly his disciples. Those who practice sin and those who persevere in Christ. Now, the question is, how, how, how do we stop practicing sin? If that's a question for us this morning, we need to persevere in the words of Christ. How do you find victory in your life? You can't, you can't simply stop sinning. You need to start living holy. Replace the bad practices with the good practices, the bad habits with the good habits, worldly mentalities with godly mentalities. You need to exchange, there's a need for exchanging the old self for the new self. Then you will see freedom in your life, victory in your life. You know, as, as believers, as people who have regenerated hearts, I have no doubt in my mind that there's a, there's a sense in us that hates sin, that hates it when we stumble into sin. Right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We understand that. It's why we still need to flee from sin and pursue holiness. That's why we need to, to pick up practices and habits that promote godliness in our lives, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's prayer, whether it's serving, whether it's worshiping God in our own time, whether it's fasting. You need to fill that time with, we need to fill that time that we would normally and naturally use for sin with things of God, things that are holy, things that are righteous. Now, just as a sort of a last note before we continue uh, on with the, the rest of our passage here, Jesus gives, again, he, he gives a very clear sign of what a true disciple of his is. Those who persevere and those who abide in his words. And we see this again later in, in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, verse 5. It's a similar Word here, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, meaning whoever perseveres, perseveres in, per, in following Christ, in his word, 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Perseverance is a sign of true discipleship. It's a sign of the elect. The elect persevere. John later writes in his first epistle about this concerning the apostate Christian, the, 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 the so-called believer that eventually falls away from the faith or eventually leaves the church. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. And we'll see, we'll see the extent of these people's belief in Christ as we progress throughout this chapter of John, John chapter 8. We'll see that really these people that so-called believed in Christ fails to persevere. They fail to prove that they are truly disciples of Christ. But the last, the last point that we have for this morning in regards to this truth that sets us free, let's look at the promise of this truth. The promise of this truth. Verse 35 of our passage, look at the, that with me. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Who is the son in this passage? Who is the son in this passage? Jesus. Look at verse, uh, the, the following verse after this, right? I, well, first of all, Jesus is, is very much repeating what he's already said back in verse 23. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And so when he's talking about who this, this, this son who remains forever in verse 35, really he's talking about what he's already said. He is, he is the son of God. He's making a distinction between himself and the rest of humanity who is enslaved to sin. And he does so in, with glorious purpose because in verse 36, more clarity as who the son is. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus is a son remains forever. You will be free indeed. In the original Greek, the, the word for indeed, the ontos, means truly. It's a substance of reality. This is truly, truly. Meaning when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, sets us free, it's not just some pipe dream, some hope for the future, or some metaphor. It's a reality, a genuine statement. You are free. If the Son so wills it, if the Son declares it, you are free. Free indeed. Notice as well the statement, right? So if the Son sets you free, you will be free. That's not an eventual outcome. That is a certain promise. The Son sets you free, you are free. It's similar to that passage we read earlier in Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's a, there's a confidence in the power and the, and the ability of God to cleanse us from sin and set us from the slavery of sin. This is why the truth of Jesus' divinity sets people, people free because only God can liberate man, raise dead men to life, and bring us out of darkness. Only God can do that. And listen, this is the only sense of real freedom that we can experience in this world. You have all the policies in place, all the, uh, all the right people in government, you have all, the, all sorts of freedoms. 
But unless the Son of God sets us free from the slavery of sin, we won't truly be free. We can never be as free as, as what Christ does for us by His death and resurrection. Real freedom is freedom from sin. Freedom from having all our decisions and actions and our thoughts and our desires governed by our sin nature. Freedom from having to perpetually follow after our flesh and our worldly desires. That's real freedom. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Righteousness. That's us. We have been set free from the slavery of sin and now become slaves to righteousness. And you might be thinking, well, how is that any better? How is being slaves of righteousness better than being slaves of sin? Well, continue in verse 20 of that same passage, Romans chapter 6. For when, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. The fruit of our slavery to sin is death. And you can bet that word there in the original Greek is thanatos, not just physical death, but spiritual death. All-encompassing death. That is hell. And verse 22, a great declaration, but now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it ends in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the full scope of what Jesus promises. What he declares freedom is when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It's not just from the, the power of sin, the persuasion of sin, the preference of sin, but ultimately the punishment of sin. Freed from death itself. No policy, no government, no world leader, no movement can offer that to us. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth that sets us free is Jesus Christ, plain and simple. Real freedom starts with believing and trusting in Christ as God, as the Savior of the world. As we've seen in our passage, the presupposition here is that all of us are sinners. And as a result, we are slaves to sin and we need someone to free us. Secondly, the only way for us to become free is if we put our faith and we believe in Jesus Christ and all his claims as the Messiah, as the Son of God, equal to God in power, nature, and authority, in his resurrection, in his sufficiency, in paying for our sins at the cross, all of that. And the hope, the eternal hope that we have, the promise that we have is that if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. There's no going back. 
There's no going back to slavery. There's no going back to sin. The invitation for us this morning, especially for those who have yet to put their faith in Christ, who have yet to come to this truth, to this freedom that we have. Jesus says it very simple, very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to to the Father except through me. It's not by our good works, good intentions, our church attendance, how much we give. It's not by our own strength, our own will that saves us. It is only through Jesus Christ. It is only through faith in Him and His claims and His divinity and His power to save us. We only find freedom in, in the truth, the truth that is Jesus Christ. So I invite you, if, if you have yet to do that this morning, please do so. In a moment, we're going going to enter into a time of worship, and I pray that you would utilize that time to get right with God. Even after service, I'll be here on the side, and, and and I would love to walk you through that and lead you in how to how to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. But please do not leave this room, do not leave this building without getting right with this truth. Do not walk out this building still a slave to sin. Come and know the freedom that Christ offers. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for this time that we could come and hear about your truth, oh God, the truth. The truth that governs our world, our universe, oh Lord. The truth that gives us hope despite the circumstances, the world around us, the trials we experience. The truth that declares that, Jesus, you are God. That the one who died for us is the one who created us and loved us from the beginning before the foundations of this world. The one who rose from the grave is the one who promises us eternal life. That one day we too will overcome Lord, I pray that you would return to us the joy of our salvation. I pray, Father God, wherever the world, wherever sin, wherever even our own flesh has discouraged us, oh God, in our walk with you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts. And remind us, O oh Lord, of the freedom that we truly have in you. The freedom that 
only the God of the universe can give us. Lord, I pray that you would situate our hearts once again upon your truths. Do not leave us the same, O oh Lord. And I pray, O oh God, that if there's any lies from the enemy that we have believed, any lies from man or the world that we have, have taken in as our own, I pray, O oh God, that in, in light of your word, in light of your truths, O oh Lord, that every lie and deception would come undone the name and power of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Your grace that saves us. Your, your grace that allows us to be called your own children of the Most High God. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our time to you. In Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.